Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to On Trial, starring Mark Radlich, also starring John Comer. Hope you're ready, Hollywood, because you're On Trial. Good evening, everyone. This is a Rattleision Broadcasting Network first. This is our very first episode of On Trial, and I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm still mortified. That's not going to change. Mr. Mark Rattleage. And before we go any further, that intro was brought to you by the great Jesse Starcher, the host of Source Material and the third chair on the Metal Hammer of Doom, and a pretty cool fruit who really knows where his towel's at. <laughs> we agreed uh, that we were going to use the Night Court theme. He said, I got better for you. So he went and did that all of his own uh, volition, and we appreciate him for it. That was awesome. Uh, so this is, this is on trial. Uh, I will bring out my guest host, my, my guest host, my, my co-host in just a moment. Hey. Um, <laughs> I said co-host. I fixed myself. Um, this is the uh, sort of the sequel to Long Road to Ruin, uh, a show we put to bed last year. And we are moving on to a different kind of show. It's still a movie review show, but with a bit of a different format. Uh, one movie per show. And uh, Sean and I alternate picks, more or less. Um, I'm sure, he, I'm sure he, after looking at the schedule I gave him, he went short. Alternate, in quotes. But, uh, but really, we, <laughs> we're splitting the subject material down the middle-ish. And um, one of us will prosecute the movie. The other one will defend the movie. So not your standard kind of review, but you're going to get, you know, two sides of the same movie. And ultimately, I think you'll get a balanced uh, view of these uh, subject pieces. So um, some of the stuff from Long Road to Ruin will carry over. We'll still do, we'll still do a notes segment brought to you by Sean because uh, he was really good at it and I didn't want to lose that. Uh, I'll still do my... Uh, stuttering plot synopsis is because um, why, why fix it if it ain't broke or why break it if it ain't fixed it um, so do that and then we'll jump right into uh, the final argument of each of these movies uh, it's our first episode so we're feeling our way through this but I think we're going to be okay uh, we've got two experienced podcasters here god damn it no, no mercy no, no, no retreat no surrender all right, I gotta calm the f- down. Uh, so, so let me so let me take a breath. Tree, no surrender. <laughs> let me uh, let me take a breath here. Uh, I'm down off the eight gallons of uh, green bay drink for the show, and bring on my co-host, Mister. Uh, he's Sean Comer, and you're not, Mister. Sean Comer. How do you do, sir? Phoenix Wright for the defense, Your Honor. <laughs> Uh, new year, new show, babe. How you feel? Oh, I feel great. I I really kind of like that we're undergoing a little bit of I wouldn't say we planned it, but just a kind of a by happenstance house cleaning of the old shows. Because uh, don't get me wrong, I I liked a lot of them. I of course I loved everyone 
everyone loves a bad guy, and that I'm sure will come back every so often when Robert feels inspired to. But, I mean, I've, I won't say I've kind of been on Rodwich and Broadcasting from the beginning, because obviously I came along in uh, 2012, and, and you had already been podcasting for a few years by that time. But in that time, I kind of felt like some of the shows like uh, from the cheap seats had kind of had kind of run its course. Um, that although that just kind of just faded away. Um, and yeah, long road to ruin. It was we still had a lot of ground we could have covered, but it was really starting to get kind of stale and going through the motions. And my heart just wasn't in it anymore. But now we got we got this show. We've got because because blank made me. Uh, which is another concept that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. We've got a TV party tonight, which I am hugely excited about. And yeah, this time out, instead of us just going back and forth and kind of doing our broke-ass Siskel and Ebert thing, we actually get to discuss this with a little bit of, of structure, you know, like like civilized adulting type humans and lo and lo and behold i owe you my i owe you my thanks because and by the way as a quick aside just because i haven't filled in the rest of that schedule doesn't mean i don't have ideas hmm. i've been thinking that i've I, yeah i've been thinking of shitty b movies i can subject you to for because blank made me. <laughs> oh excellent oh, 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 I'm, what, oh, I'm excited. what horrors I have in store for you there but uh, <laughs> this time out no we're we're getting to talk about because you let me pick the first one uh, one of uh, my all time favorite cult classics uh, and that is of course John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China Do we want to do we want to go right into notes, or do you want to do the plot synopsis first? No, uh, man, keep, keep going. Do all... um, oh, okay then. Yep, get right into your notes, babe. Okay, well, Big Trouble in Little China is, in a way, a movie that's a product of two eras. It's very much an '80s movie in the sense that it was a time when movies weren't produced with forward-thinking franchises immediately in mind. And that especially wasn't exactly what John Carpenter was known for doing. But also, it's really a throwback in its loose, adventurous tone, its dialogue, its characters, really just about everything else to the old studio system days. Uh, in in a way, it's, it's almost like... Uh, a Howard Hawks movie that's pumped up on every single goddamn steroid the 1980s had to offer. And if you were watching the WWF back in the 80s, you know just how much that is. Um, it's Unfortunately, it's also a movie that is the product of <laughs> really, really genuinely terrible timing. Uh, in terms of the fact that Carpenter was called in was called in to direct this um, from the very beginning, with the studio knowing right off the bat that there was another movie that was going to be coming out right around the same time they wanted this done, and that was The Golden Child. Now, 
if you just heard that and kind of cringed at the implications of what I'm talking about, it's because they expected John Carpenter, this vaunty, this vaunted, revered name among names of indie directors, to go up against a major studio movie that was led by, at the time, one of the very biggest stars in all of Hollywood, Eddie Murphy. And Eddie was in his comedic prime at this point. He was never a bigger draw than he was right around the time he made this. And, in fact, when Carpenter made this, uh, the studio was very insistent initially that they wanted to try to beat the Golden Child at its own game by bringing in another big-name star to lead their movie. And that is, they wanted to they wanted to bring on to this tale of Chinese mysticism in the heart of San Francisco's Chinatown. Uh, they wanted it to be led by... Uh, Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson were the main two that they considered right off the bat, but they were both busy. There was no way they were they were getting them. Uh, the studio thought, okay, well, bronze medal. Uh, this Kurt Russell kid looks like he's going places. Let's let's give him a go. Um, initially, he didn't, and initially he wasn't really that interested because from the sounds. From the sounds of it, he wasn't sure if any of the ways that he could have possibly approached Jack were going to work for what they want for what they wanted to do. Um, but after he kind of conversed with Carpenter a little bit, read the script a little bit more, started to really think a little bit more more about it, he came up with a a very flawed hero who isn't really much of a hero. Um, as Russell said, he falls on his ass as much as he comes through. This guy is a real blowhard. He's full of hot air, very self-assured, a screw-up. And that is Jack. You kind of get that impression of him from the moment that you hear his very first lines of that lines of dialogue in the movie, um, which another thing I love about this, it is just imminently, imminently quotable. Um, hang on, let me look it up because unfortunately I remember most of it off the top of my head, like the end of it, but I don't, I don't remember the whole thing. And I want to kind of give our audience a little bit of a treat here. Yeah. Trying to find the full text of the whole, the full text of the whole thing. Live, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are, we are still very. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we are still there. We are still very much a Rod Legend Broadcast Network show. <laughs> I should be able to find this because I got dinged at work earlier by some stupid automated copyright system that said, "No, no, no, you can't use that direct quote in your article. You have to take that out." Assholes. It's a good Futurama quote too. While you're um, um, while you're looking for your quote, just just jump in whenever you find it. But I will say this: uh, the fun thing about this show is, uh, as we talked about in December when we were um, first promoting it, is that I may actually like a lot of the a lot of these movies that we're going to talk about, but I will be in the dubious position of having to prosecute them, which uh, I was telling Sean. <laughs> Will, will really stretch me as 
uh, both a debater and, and a reviewer, because it, it's going to make me look at things that I might have a, um, in a way that is purely critical. And that's what you're going to get from me tonight. When we're, when we're done with this notes part and, and we get to the uh, prosecution, and uh, boy, will I be prosecuting. Um, I, I just watched this uh, earlier today, watched, and I watched half of it with my son, by the way, um, who loved it, thought it was great. Uh, which I'll, I'll get to in a second. But uh, I, I really did watch this thing, and I'm like, you know, I get why young me thought this was great, and I never really thought about it again and never thought about um, what the problems were because this is pure candy. It's so entertaining. Kurt Russell is awesome <laughs> as, as Jack Burton. <laughs> you know, and, it's, and he, he does a bit, and I know it's 1986, so it's 10 years after you know, both you know, A New Hope and three years, I believe. No, uh, six years after um, – let's try that one more time. Ten years after – nine years after A New Hope, three years after Empire Strikes but boy, is, is Kurt Russell channeling Han Solo <laughs> in this movie, right down to, aren't you going to kiss oh, her? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Dude, I almost fell okay. off the fucking couch. <laughs> laughing at that. Okay. I, I found the closest thing. It, it's, it's like the last half of it. I can't, I can't find uh, the, the first part, but here's the important part. As when some wild-eyed, eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against the barroom wall, and he looks you crooked in the eye, and he asks if you paid your dues, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check is in the mail. <laughs> How do you not walk away from that line wishing people would set you up just so you can say, yes, the check is in the mail? I just, I, I, I swore on election day this year that from now on, presidential elections just get so nuts with uh, people's emotions running high and everybody's got a short, got a short temper and everyone's tense and ready to start a fight at the drop of a hat. I just think that should be we, – we already have to put up with the the stupid bullshit of talk like a pirate day. <laughs> Why can we not have talk like Jack Burton Day where everybody on, everybody on the internet just communicates in big trouble in little China quotes? Uh, I, well, listen, I'm, I'm already starting my son off right. I taught him to say it's all in the reflexes. Yeah, yeah. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. Well, you see, I'm not saying that I've been everywhere and I've done everything, but I do know it's a pretty amazing planet we live on here. And a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're alone in this universe. The conclusion of the final fight scene between Lopan and Jack Burton ends with, Lopan throwing Jack Burton's knife back at him, him catching it and plugging Lopan in the forehead with the knife. And I looked at Jonas dead in the eyes and I said, if you can pull off, because Jonas was like, whoa, like he totally turned into, he was like, whoa, you know, he was impressed. And, um, you know, to get an almost three-year-old to sit down and watch anything for any great length of time is a major accomplishment. So he really liked this movie, what he saw of it. But I told him, I'm like, if you ever... 
I said, if you ever pull off a move that dope, you get to say the line, it's all in the reflexes. And, he, and I was like, say it back. Yes. And he goes, it's all in the reflexes. And I'm like, good boy. Good boy. Yes. And you see, and that's what this movie is. is we'll get to it some more in the plot description, the plot synopsis here in a second. But it's the story of a pretty simple-minded, journeyman, kind of roguish, meathead truck driver who's thrust into the middle of this, mystical war between ancient Chinese factions right in the heart of Chinatown and basically the whole of all of all that plane, all the plane of existence is at stake. Um, and I, I, I have to attribute part of the reason I love this movie so much to the fact that uh, they they kind of played around with the script a little bit. They initially wanted it to be a Western, actually, that incorporated all these uh, Chinese supernatural elements. And, you know, it was going to be set in turn-of-the-century San Francisco at one at one point. And 20th Century Fox and the various writers they brought in, particularly uh, Gary Goldman, just couldn't agree on it, agree on anything. Um Basically, he ended up getting mad when the studio wanted to bring it up to a contemporary setting. Uh, studio cut all the writers from the pro- from the project and brought in a fellow by the name of W.D. Richter. Now, if you're a fan of 80s cult movies, your ears hopefully just perked up because that is none other than the director of one of my other all-time favorite forgotten movies, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Yes, that's right. The second greatest thing that Peter Weller has ever done in life. Um, He came in and extensively rewrote the script, tossed out the Wild West and fantasy idea. He modernized it, um, pretty much tossed out everything except for Lopan's whole backstory. Uh, as he put it, what it needed wasn't a rewrite, but a complete overhaul. It was a dreadful screenplay. Um, and uh, God damn, it it worked. I, I mean, it seriously, seriously, seriously worked. Um, the problem that it ran that it ran into was, I mean, casting was most was mostly okay. Uh, you get some great other performances from uh, Dennis Dunn, who stepped in to play Wang Chi after the studio kind of backed off their initial idea of wanting to have Jackie Chan do it. Um, you get uh, James Hong, who is just an absolute scenery cannibal as Lo, as Lopan. Victor Wong is Ed Shen. You'll also recognize him as the grandfather from the first three ninjas movie. Um, you get uh, <laughs> just what I can only describe as a classic, hilariously bad performance by Kim Cattrall. Um, oh, we're going to get to that. That's a major it, part of my oh, argument. Yeah. Oh, oh, hell <laughs> yes. We, yes, we we are, and I'm going to be hard pressed to argue against it. But I'll just I'll just say she makes ma- she makes mannequin and Sex in the City look like goddamn Shakespeare. Oh my God! Her performance compared to, com- compared to her, her performance here. I was gonna say her performance in this makes her performance in Sex in the City look like fucking Glenn Close. Jesus Christ! 
Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, loving loving the show Damages the way I did, yeah, I'm a big Glenn Close fan. So I, I don't agree with that lightly. Um, but in terms of box office, it was the studio inadvertently set it up to fail. I mean, it's a good movie. It's a very fun movie. And a lot of the reviews, mixed though they were as a whole, were individually actually very, actually very kind of it. Uh, the Toronto Star's Ron Bass, I think, hit the nail right on the head when he said that Kurt Russell does a great John Wayne imitation, but he's not just mimicking his heroes. He's using them to give his own character a broad, satiric edge. That's very true. In a way, it's kind of both an, both an homage and a taking-the-piss satire. Um, and and I, absolutely, I absolutely love that. Uh, and John Carpenter gets it. Uh, he, he understands exactly what this was meant to be, what he wanted it to be, and he didn't try to carry it off as anything more than that. Uh, one of the toughest to please people in all of the entertainment world – Fucking Harlan Ellison, who is known for being an absolute butcher when it comes to his critiques, um, just he loved he loved it. Uh, he said it had some of the funniest lines spoken by any actor that by any actor that year, and he is absolutely right. Um, meanwhile, on the other hand, you have critics to who just kind of don't get it, and uh, I'll, I'll skim them briefly because we want to get to them a little bit later, but Roger Ebert kind of wrote it off as being an empty special effects spectacle that didn't really care about the characters and kind of considered them to be just sort of set dressing. Uh, he was very critical of the fact that a lot of the Asian characters were, and I'm quoting here, straight out of the era of Charlie Chan and Fu Manchu with no, with no apologies and all of the usual stereotypes. Uh, throw out the fact that actually Dennis Dunn went on record as, say, as saying that he was thrilled to be playing Wang because he loved that character and it wasn't the kind of character that you saw that often in Western cinema. Um, just a lot of people who were really harsh because they just kind of they just kind of didn't get it, and the thing is, it it tanked at the office at the box office. Uh, let's face it, it was never going to take down Eddie Murphy at that stage of his career, and uh, never, and uh, never, ever, 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 ever. Uh, it had a twenty million dollar budget, and it ultimately ended up doing. Eleven point one million. It was, and John Carpenter considered the production so aggravating and the box office so disappointing, and the process of butting heads with the studio so frustrating that he cites it as the movie that drove him away from working with major studios again. From that point forward, uh, he just wanted nothing to do with them and wanted to go right back to, to making indie movies on his own steam. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I missed anything, but that's kind of the behind the scenes story of it. All right. Let's, uh, let's, I'm going to give just a quick, like 50 words or less plot synopsis. And then we're going to jump sure. right into the meat of this show. Uh, folks, 
which is the prosecution. Prosecution always goes first, but whoever, whatever's happening, whoever's prosecuting, they always go first. That's how it works. Uh, prosecution, defense, final arguments, and then the best part of any Rattlers and Broadcasting show, plugs. No, um, <laughs> but that's pretty much what we're doing here. All right, so we have uh, Jack Burton, who's a truck driver in the hand solo fame, as I said earlier. Uh, when we meet him, he's doing his bit in his truck. Um, he rolls into San Francisco Chinatown. Uh, he's doing some gambling with his buddies. And uh, the buddy in question here is Wang, played by Dennis Dunn. Uh, Wang loses the bet, loses a bunch of money, says, let's go double or nothing. Only he says nothing or double. Uh, loses again and says, all right, well, come back later and I'll pay you your money. And, and Jack says, nope. <laughs> you're going to get me my money now, uh, friend, because I don't trust you for nothing. Uh, so he says, fine, come with me to the airport. Or, or they, he says, I'm going to go with you to the airport because that's where he's headed right this very second to go pick up his fiance, uh, whose name is Miao Yin. So we get to the airport and Kim Cottrell is there. She plays a character named Gracie Law, who I believe is a lawyer. Get it? Gracie Law, lawyer. Are we all good with that? Good. Let's move on. Um, she's there to pick up <laughs> She's there to pick up her friend, who is also a Chinese woman. Um, we got Wang, who's there to pick up his fiance, a Chinese woman. And in walks a Chinese street gang called the Lords of Death. Um, they go for Kim Cattrall's friend. Jack intervenes. Uh, a, me- a melee ensues. They end up running off with Wang's girlfriend. Um, they go after them which uh, leads them to an alley where there's a funeral procession going on, uh, which then in turn erupts into a street uh, fight between two rival Chinese gangs, the Lords of Death, as I said before, and the, uh, sorry, a street, the street gangs are the Chang Seng and the Wing Tong, two ancient Chinese societies. Uh, this then leads to the, Intervention of the three storms. These are our henchmen type villains. Thunder, rain, and lightning. Which then brings about the appearance of, uh, after they've done Slaughter the Chang Sing, this brings about our main bad guy, our Darth Vader of the bunch, Lo Pan, played lovingly, notoriously, awesomely by James Hong. Um, Jack nearly, uh, Jack runs him over with the truck, but of course he's not really alive as such, and so... He goes right through them. Um, they abandon the truck. The truck is stolen. And so now we have a, the whole, it, it, it's a rescue movie at this point. Jack wants to go get his truck back. Wang wants his, girl, his fiance back. They got to go find them. Uh, Kim Cattrall gets involved with this because she's this lawyer who's been involved with, with Chinatown. Um, and she has some degree of insight, uh, but not a tremendous amount. And she's not trusted by, our, uh, our heroes in this thing, but she's there and she's giving exposition. That's her role. Um, they figure that, that meow has been taken to a brothel. They infiltrate the brothel. Uh, they are captured. They are rescued. Melees ensue. Fun is had. Uh, but along the way, a- after they've rescued, they don't rescue meow. She, she's carted off to Lopan's uh, secret hideout in, uh, on Mustafar. And, um, and, <laughs> Uh, Kim Cattrall also manages to get herself captured by Sasquatch. I'm not kidding about that. The fucking thing looked like Sasquatch. Um, <laughs> so, so 
they go back to the restaurant where they meet up with uh, bus driver and magician uh, Victor Wong's character, Egg Shen. He brings a, a battle army. I, uh, I believe it's, yeah, it's the Chang Sang, what's left of them after, after the rest got killed. And as the group, they go through the sewers, uh, bypass the turtles, and infiltrate the underground, ca- uh, the headquarters of the pan. Um, they, they drink steroids, <laughs> magical Chinese <laughs> steroids, and uh, fights happen, rescue, you know, rescues are made, lipstick is worn, not kidding about that. Uh, and ultimately, Lopan is able to uh, marry Miao Yen, um, make him mortal. Uh, he has a final face-off with Jack Burton, who, as I said before, performs a dope stunt <laughs> and thro- catches, him, catches his own knife and throws it done right back in the head of Lopan, <laughs> killing him. Um, they, fight through the re- <laughs> they fight through the rest of the three, uh, the three weathers, uh, who all meet their untimely demise. And, uh, you know, the happy ending, Wang and Meow are reunited. Uh, there's a reporter character who hooked up with Wang's buddy. Uh, romance is in the air. Egg Chen has done his forgotten country. He goes off to uh, to parts unknown and adventures unheard, unheard of. And Jack, what happens to Jack? Does he have? Does he find romance with Kim Cattrall as you're supposed to do in every movie? That's the Hollywood law. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> he says. <laughs> He says he's not kissing the girl and he's not settling down and he's going to hit the open road again because he's Jack Burton, motherfuckers. That's <laughs> that's ultimately the movie. Now, um, I would I'm, I'm not going to play a character here. I'm going to give you my real thoughts and my real problems with this movie. Um, so, in playing the the uh, the prosecutor, I'm gonna I'm not going to do what I would do in previous shows, which is try to give you a more balanced view of things and be and defend these things. I'm just going to go straight negative and tell you what is wrong with this movie. And, and, and I want to say this before I jump into it as lovingly and, uh, you know, and as some you know, very positive things, like, as I said before and could say, I actually took notes every time I had a, a thought or an issue with something I was watching. I don't think I've taken notes for any show I've ever, I haven't taken, I didn't take notes in high school. Okay, folks. I take I'm taking this shit more seriously than I took school. So I've got so I've got notes. And um I'm gonna file there are gonna be general problems I have and then there's gonna be very, very specific things. There are certain scenes that don't work in this movie I'm gonna address. So uh here we go. And I think the first thing because my very first note has to do with the way a particular character was played. So let's just talk about performances. So, yes, obviously, Kurt Russell saves this entire movie. Um, But a movie should not have to depend on one actor's performance. He should not be Atlas holding up the entire goddamn thing on his shoulders. Because if you take Kurt Russell out of this movie, boy, does it fall apart. Because he has two co-hosts that share almost the same amount of screen time as he does. And they're played so badly that it's distracting from the movie. James Hong as Lopan is fine. Victor Wong as Egg Shen is fine. But the other two leads, Kim Cattrall's Gracie Law and Dennis Dunn's Wang Chi, oy vey, are those performances terrible. I mean, I, I'm not, 
I, I'm not even like exaggerating when it comes to Kim Cattrall. And it's and it's weird because it's two it's bad performances, but they're completely different bad performances. Kim Cattrall is just overacting. That's a situation where I have to guess that John Carpenter was either disgusted, couldn't get what he wanted out of Kim Cattrall, or just wasn't directing her. It was just like, look, you're a pretty face, and this movie needs one because it's Hollywood. So just say your lines, and never gave her another acting direction. Maybe he was caught up in directing all the kung fu that was happening. Maybe he was doing drugs. I don't know what John Carpenter was doing during her scenes, but Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, this woman delivers dialogue like breathlessly, like a daytime soap opera actress, and it's, and it's tone deaf. It doesn't work. Half the time she's saying things, and it's just she's using inflections and focus on, on certain uh, words in a sentence. That it's like, does she not understand English? Because that didn't make any sense. Yeah, she read the words. The words sounded familiar. But it was like, she would just put emphasis on things and then sort of do a, like a little shimmy in front of the camera you know, for like dramatic emphasis. And it's like, wow, that's an amateur acting move. You're terrible at this. And, and granted, it was, 1980, it was 1986. We would have a long line of wonderful Kim Cattrall attractions, like Mannequin, for example. <clears throat> that, I'm, we're going to have to get to that at some point. But, but I mean, look, look, years later, she does do Sex in the City, and she does a phenomenal job with that character. It's one of the more memorable characters of that show, besides, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker. And I say that as not a fan of the show. I've, the episodes I've seen, she was like, the, she really was the best part of them. She was the... Uh, the 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 uh, Golden Girls woman, uh, the one that was the sex hot shit. What was her name? Oh, Rue um, uh, Yeah, Rue McClanahan. Rue McClanahan. Um, oh God, now I'm trying. Blanche Devereaux. Oh yeah, she she really was the Blanche yes. of that show, and she's phenomenal. Oh, so it's like either she, she she must have like either gotten better, or this is really was an example of terrible direction. Because, as I've said multiple times about George Lucas, one of the things that make him horrible, you can't just show up to set and be a technical advisor, okay? You're, 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 being a director also means working with the people. Um, the line about, and I think it's Alfred Hitchcock that said um, something about, you know, actors just being talking trees, basically. That, you know, that film is this visual masterpiece, but the actors don't matter as much. I don't, I don't believe that that's true. I think you ha- I think the little experience I've actually had with acting, you need to pull performances out of your act. Why have a director there at all? Just have a technical advisor for the special effects and for the blocking and let the actors do their thing. Uh, another example of what I'm talking about, Damon Wayans playing, uh, I think, a character in uh, Bamboozled, wanted to play it a certain way, and Spike Lee said no. You know, Spike Lee had a vision of what this movie was supposed to be, and Damon Wayans, as a performer, which is his right to do so, wanted to take it in a certain direction, and Spike Lee was like, nope. That's what a director is supposed to be doing. And so with Kim Cattrall, who obviously is a talented actress, but that's not on display anywhere in this movie, um, failed in that respect. So we have a failure of direction, of, of performance direction, and we have a failure of direction, and we have a failure of, of performance on the part of an actor. 
Which brings me to more Dennis Dunn. Holy shit. Think fine. I honestly, like, I, especially in the beginning, because later on when he has to just do, like, some exposition in Kung, in Kung Fu stuff, and there isn't ne- necessarily as much acting needed from him, he's fine. He's perfectly adequate. Um, but the opening sequence where he's trying to explain why he's in love with this woman in the truck uh, to Kurt Russell's character is so bad. It actually took me out of the movie for a moment. Is he's just like, and again, it was an example of how could you let that go on camera as a director? How could you let him do this? Like, I, I think he's trying to get across that he's so in love that it sort of brings him back to a youthful innocence. I think that's what he's going for in, the, in, in those scenes. But it's so badly done and it's so amateurishly performed. And again, it's like and he's playing off of Kurt Russell who's so over the top and so bombastic and so full of flavor and color that it's like you're not keeping up with your, with your co-scene performer. You're, you're, <laughs> you're seen, you're not keeping up with the other actor. And it was noticeable. And this, the whole character is written shittily. I mean, I'm glad he's in love with the character, but Wang Chi is a shitty character. Um, basically, like, he's, he's, you ha- your introduction to him is he's, uh, you know, he's mad that he lost this bet, which I guess you don't need to provide a lot of context for that, but then the performance has to be better. If you're going to show characteristics in a, in a character and not give any context or background or anything, that's fine, but then the performance has to be more dynamic, and his is really flat. So, and you also have way too many characters giving exposition in this movie. You've got him who gives exposition. You've got his buddy. Uh, you've got his buddy, Donald Lee, who plays Eddie Lee. <laughs> it's two different Lees there, spelled differently. Um, you've got David Lopan, who gives exposition. You've got Egg Shen, who gives exposition. You've got Kim Cattrall, who gives exposition badly. You, you, so there's all these characters just giving you information. Um, and when they're not giving information, they're doing kung fu. That's the movie. So this is what I mean by, like I said, uh, it, it is saved by certain performances ultimately. And by, you know, if you just love Kung Fu and love action, it's saved by that as well. And it's just a fun, colorful movie. But those are the things pulling it out of the, just the ditch that the, that the other performances and the excessive exposition um, are, are driving it into. Um. And I, and I think that was overall, those were my large problems with this movie was this, this, the ongoing bad performances and the constant giving of exposition with really stale, non-dynamic scenes. I'll get to one specifically in a minute. Um, I want to talk about some specific issues in the movie that come up. because, And, and I want to say this right off the bat. You have to understand what kind of movie this is and then take the issues derived from that off the table if you're going to be fair. So, for example, if you're going to make a kung fu movie, the staple of, one of, the, of a kung fu movie is nobody ever attacks you from the back. <laughs> you might have a, a million guys surrounding you, but no one will ever attack you from the back. Somehow or other, everyone just lines up and you nail them one by one by one. You're not allowed to attack that in your criticism. That's part of the movie-going experience. Um, 
the flavor of the movie, the themes and everything all contribute to the experience. And I don't think those are things that need to be attacked. Uh, so the fact that they keep saying things like, why don't you call the cops? Because cops got better things to do than die. I get it. I'm okay with that. I understand that this is supposed to be a closed society, closed secret society filled with magic and sorcery and demons and curses. And so there's a certain level of fantasy I'm willing to accept without, without uh, deconstructing it. However, if a Chinese gang walks into an airport and attacks a woman and there's no cops, that's where I call bullshit. No, 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 no. Even in 1986, if three Chinese Chinamen pull out nunchucks and knives and shit and start, and start trying to run off with a gal in a crowded airport, they would be sacked by the cops within seconds. You wouldn't, certainly, if a truck driver starts a fist fight with one of them. I mean, I'm watching this. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's shot very cool. It looks awesome. You know, you have these, it, it almost looks like the scene in Malcolm X where they're dressed like Pim. They're just doing that jive walk down the street. It's, it's a very cool shot of the Lords of Death walking through the airport with their silly 80s glasses on. And the, and, and the whole exchange, you know, the, the exchange with Jack is like, I think we have a problem here. You know, and then the guy's like, yeah, and he starts flipping his weapons around and everything. And I'm like, yeah, that looks really cool. Where are the cops? Where are the cops? That was a ridiculous scene. And, and, it, and it's one of those that, that even in a movie filled with fantasy such as this one, it's one I have to call bullshit on. Um, going back to, uh, I, I mentioned this just a few seconds ago, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address it at large now. This is some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in a movie, especially the exposition scenes. I mean, I'm, I'll allow for a certain amount of fantasy exposition and you sort of take it with a grain of salt. You know, it's kind of like listening to the explanations at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, uh, where it's like, oh, if you don't buy that, you're not going to get into this movie at all. But come on. There are several scenes that are chock full of exposition in this movie that are just shite. They're just written badly. I don't know who could perform them and elevate this stuff to where it was listenable. But I kept going, and, and, and as someone who likes this movie, kept going, please stop explaining these things to me. They were too, the, the problem is they're, they're too in-depth, they're too long, there's nothing going on in these scenes. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I actually have a note on this. exposition scene in the fish room is garbage, okay? They, they go down this tunnel, they land in a pile of fish, and it's like a timeout sort of refresh session while they get ready for the final battle. But they choose that moment for Egg to deliver this monologue of exposition and nothing is happening in the scene. This is movie making 101. If you're going to deliver long lines of exposition and give a lot of information, there has to be something visual for the audience to focus on or it's just a guy talking. Kind of like what I'm doing right now. Um, no, but I mean, I'm not in a movie. <laughs> this is the format, okay, folks? It's talk radio. It's a podcast. I can get away with it. But... You can't do that in a movie. There has to be something for the audience to gravitate towards, and there's nothing, and it happens way too much. And that scene was the worst offender. It's literally them standing in a, in a, like a dimly lit 
I mean, dimly lit for film. Dimly lit room with no color. The color's all washed out. All that's there is a pile of fish. And everyone's dressed drab, except for, except for Kurt Russell, who still has his jeans and his tank top on. And so there's nothing stimulating to look at. And then again, like, there's just this long line of fantasy dialogue that goes nowhere and does nothing. At this point, it's the third act of the movie. If you haven't established all the exposition by act three, just stop. We're already, we've made it this far. We're already with you. At this point, we just want to see the damsel, get, the damsel in distress get saved. We don't need to hear, the, the, for the third time, the legend of Lopan. Ugh. Uh, so, big, again, and that goes back to direction and screenplay. There were some real problems with this. Um, going back to this is some of the worst dialogue in a movie I've ever heard. The example I wrote down was, what the hell is going on? The truth? I can take it. We don't know. And my reaction. Ugh. Okay, so, <laughs> Jack, what the hell is going on? Wang, the truth? Jack, I can take it. Wang, we don't know. What was the point of that? <laughs> you could come up with an argument. You could say, well, blah, blah, blah. no. As far as an audience goes, that's garbage. So don't, don't sit there and draw, do this whole drawn out thing just to get to a dead end that's nothing. You know, you got to keep the bouncing ball moving. So, it's, um, I, overall, those are my major problems with this movie. We have performance issues. Doug issues, we have exposition and dead scene issues. And all and these are the things that really detract from the movie. It is ultimately saved by Kurt Russell's performance and uh, James Hong and Victor Wong's performances and a lot of action. If you if you cut the action out, you have no movie left. There's nothing interesting happening. And you, you know, you say, well, you could say that about a lot of movies. No, there are, a lot, there are plenty of action fantasy genre movies that if you, I mean, if you remove the action out of the Fellowship of the Ring, you still have a good movie there. I'm sorry. Those are some awesome performances and some amazing emotional energy coming out of that story that even if you remove the silly chase scenes from the, you know, with the ring rights out of it or the final battle with the Urukai, you'd still have a savable, enjoyable, entertaining movie. You don't with Big Trouble in Little China. Prosecution cedes the floor. Thank you, Your Eminence, your eminence Mr. Edgeworth's son. <laughs> the thing to understand about Big Trouble in Little China is that the people who are most directly responsible for it, specifically the director of Buckaroo Banzai, who came in and did script, did script doctoring, and John Carpenter, well... You can't really say they're known as people whose movies necessarily do one particular thing spectacularly well. Uh, they aren't exactly what you would call auteurs, which is not to say that they're incompetent filmmakers. It's just that you watch their movies, and for the most part, you enjoy them as just that, movies as a whole, the sum of their parts. You have to keep in mind that Carpenter himself comes from very much an indie background. This was the man that up to this point had made his biggest name as the director of Halloween. I mean, that was far 
was far and away his crowning achievement. Um, when it comes to his other movies, though, think about, say, The Thing, another outstanding Kurt Russell vehicle. You have a movie wherein you can't look at it and necessarily strictly say that it's appealing as a visual movie, although it does boast some outstanding special effects. Uh, because it doesn't really have anything particular, particularly sweeping or, in a, or innovative about it. In fact, you could even look at that and say that the special effects today don't always necessarily hold up all that well. Uh, the dialogue, uh, I don't know that I would go so far as to exactly call the thing quotable. And yet, once you sit down and watch it, you can't deny the appeal of it. Not for a single solitary moment. Uh, let's see. I would look at, okay, They Live. They Live is, an, they live is another one. Is it a movie that necessarily gets over strictly on the basis of being visually striking? Well, it's well shot, and it definitely has a memorable look to it. But no, no, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that necessarily. Um, does it necessarily have spectacular character development? Mm, yes and no. I mean, you know, the late Rowdy Roddy Piper certainly gives an outstanding performance. It's arguably, along with his wrestling career, what he's known best for. But that's more so just Roddy being allowed to be just the right version version of Roddy, more than necessarily the dialogue itself being great. In fact, uh, he was no he was known to have come up with a lot of ideas and improvise a lot from ideas that he had had for or promos during his World Wrestling Federation run. But do we ever really exactly get a whole lot of background about our characters, learn about them, really invest in them? Well, we're invested, but no, we don't really learn enough about, about them to care all that great a deal. Somehow, though, everything just comes together in just the right way. And Carpenter's movies, for all the flaws you might find in them, for the fact that, yeah, the dialogue may sometimes be a, little, be a bit lacking, or, yeah, they sometimes may need to be held up by just one particular performance, well, it just all somehow works. In a way, he's, he's a little like... Oh, since we are so much so much of a wrestling oriented network sometimes, he's a lot like Paul Heyman. He knows just when and how to bring out the positives and he knows just how to hide hide what he doesn't have to work with. And so it is in this movie. He has one big star. Well correction, two of them. He has two performers who are just giving their all in every single scene. They understand what their characters are supposed to be, the movie is supposed to be, what they're going for, and they know just what just what to deliver. And James Hong and Kurt Russell, oh, they come through in spades absolutely all the way. Enough so that they make up for what I will agree my count my counterpart points out are some very deficient supporting roles. Uh, Wang Chi, for as charming as he can be, as kind of as kind of a wide-eyed young lad who is just 
excited about being in love and getting to have, have his lady by his side again is eh, he's flat. Yeah, it doesn't hold up very long, and I will concede that point. Victor Wong plays the old Asian sage to the point of really, well, you know what, I'm not even going to say he's almost stereotypical. He is stereotypical. But he does it well enough that you still root for him and you still love the guy. He doesn't stand out as being an all-time top ten performance or somebody you're going to point out alongside the likes of, say, Steve Buscemi in Reservoir Reservoir Dogs or just about anything else Steve Buscemi's been in. But it's still enjoyable. He works for what it is and what he has to be, and that's an ancient exposition dump. It brings me around to Kim Cattrall and a nice little segue to one of my other points about defending the movie. And that is that, yeah, her performance is corny. It's over the top. It's weird for the time. It's not what you would expect to see from an actress playing, playing a leading role in that era, even in an action movie in which she's de-emphasized. Now, she said in an interview that she didn't feel that she was playing a typical damsel in distress. She was trying to play it as a woman with brains, some moxie, somebody who was able to balance out Jack's stupidity. And to a certain extent, she's right, despite the fact that she does, in fact, end up being a damsel in distress. But the thing is, these performers, including Hong and Russell, actually, are all exactly what they need to be for this movie. The fact is, the whole reason I brought up Carpenter's style is because not every director suits every single type of movie. I mean, I have a theory that directors as a whole, whether whether they just be in it to make pulpy grindhouse movies that they think are fun are fun to make and would be fun to see, or auteurs such as Martin Scorsese who are just always in pursuit of making the highest art they possibly can, they make the movies they love and they stick to the work that they know. And the simple fact is, John Carpenter is what he is. He's never going to be an Oscar-nominated director, and in a way, this movie proves why. He doesn't really make high art. He's more so more so a director in the tradition of well, since he came first, I won't say the tradition, but his latter day contemporaries would probably be Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, I would perhaps throw James Wan in there. And as far as prior to him, well, arguably whose work this movie has been compared to most. Howard Hawks. It's a chance to take a very old style that had really disappeared from theaters by that point. The old, the old, crank them out, nothing fancy studio system style that made so many fun genre pictures back in the back in the golden age of Hollywood, and to add a modern aesthetic to it, to add special effects, the likes of the likes of which directors in the 50s and 60s could have never possibly imagined seeing on a screen to add a whole new kind of bombastic performance um, to really make 
to really make movies where, yeah, the actors were there to deliver the lines and participate in the action, and they weren't really out to put on out to put on King Lear. And the simple fact is, yes, Hollywood is indeed a business. It's a business and it's an art. It's the art of entertaining people, making them feel something. Because being entertained can mean that a movie made you laugh, made you cry, put you on the edge of your seat, scared the ever-loving green apple splatter shit out of you, <laughs> made you thrill, did you thrill at two and a half hours of $45.6 billion worth of explosions. But it only works if you have people both in front of the camera and behind it who know what they do well and are committed to doing it the best that they possibly can. Again, back to talking about talking about directors. Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino both notoriously like to focus on making the kind of somewhat retro throwback pictures that hearken to the movies they grew up watching, that they grew up loving, that made them want to be filmmakers. And that's one of the reasons why they're so successful. That passion comes for those movies in particular comes through on the screen. Michael Bay is never going to be known as a purveyor of Oscar bait. <laughs> okay, okay, Pearl Harbor, but shut up. <laughs> He's a guy that is brought in to do one thing and one thing only. Big boom kapow outpours the money. Things blow up, and from the sky rains fat stacks of Benjamins atop studio executives' heads. And you know what? Love him or hate him. And I could say, hey, ho, 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 metric sweet and sour fuck ton of negative things about Michael Bay. What he does, few directors do it much better. You have to look at the fact that the Transformers franchise makes billions of dollars hand over, hand over fist, while critics all but write it off as the nickelback of movies. <laughs> And on the other hand, you would have, as I've brought him up a few times, a director like Martin Scorsese. Scorsese is an artist. He likes to make movies when he has something profound to say, both visually and in terms of his script. He's known for both incredible dialogue and striking visuals and being able to say so much in scenes where his performers are saying so little because... That's what he does well. And for this movie, that's what they were trying to bring trying to bring out of this. Also, it bears noting that this was a low-budget, basically for all intents and purposes, an indie-budget movie that was trying to compete with a very similar film at the studio's behest, mind you, certainly not Carpenter's, that was starring at the time an unbeatable box office juggernaut. I mean, you just couldn't touch Eddie fucking Murphy at this point. It was almost pointless to even try. And here, you were putting him in a, putting him in a big budget action comedy. And I admit, a movie that if you stacked it up next to Big Trouble in Little China, holds up remarkably well. But the thing is, 
the studio figured notoriously, and I forgot to bring this up during notes, that Carpenter as a director was well known for briskly being able to put together productions on a shoestring but on a shoestring budget, bring it in on time or even ahead of schedule, and still put out something that people would love, something that would still make money. Well, in this case, they really pressed their luck with forcing him to do that because the fact was, previously, Carpenter was trying to work, well, sort of a combination of within his means or even below the the budget or time frame that the studio expected. But to force it on him and to do it when you're also saying, Oh, by the oh, by the way, you're David, and Goliath's foot is pretty much already going to be descending on you by the time this movie comes out. Well, it's hardly fair to really blame him for this tanking at the box office. I mean, after all, again, just look at the critical reviews. By and large, they were mostly negative, but financially, yeah, utter bomb. Not surprisingly, when you look at the circumstances, so it's fair to cut him some slack. But really what's most important about all this is the fact that Carpenter and Russell went out there and did what it would turn out they both absolutely do the very best. They went out and had fun making a movie. No, it's not rich on character. It wasn't meant to because the movies of the time that it was emulating were not movies that were exactly very rich character. The the Toronto Star Review that pointed out that he was both paying an homage to and satirizing John Wayne, absolutely spot on. I mean, John Wayne, as I've said previously in talking about a lot of action movies, is the absolute epitome of what you can do when you don't exactly have a whole lot of acting talent, but you can make up for it with presence while you build that ability up. I mean, really, when you think about John Wayne and distinctive characters, by all means, you can probably name certain movies of his that you, of his that you love. I mean, Rio Bravo, True Grit. In my case, I grew up grew up absolutely loving McClintock because it was a fun movie, good script, and it was just awesome to watch him bounce off of Marino. Or Reno O'Hara, I kind of wish wish this movie had had someone other than Cattrall who had possibly had O'Hara's more uh, more genuine moxie and ability to connect with her. But at the same time, you can't really name any one character itself that stands out. I mean, it would be years before Russell would re- would really develop into that kind of performer. At the time, he was still relative still relatively new and stepping into a role that initially the studio was a, was eyeing cinematic demigods like Jack Nicholson and Clint Eastwood for. I mean, to a certain extent, I'm willing to be forgiving. And part of the reason I'm so forgiving is the fact that between special effects and action that really was surprisingly above par for the time, for the time, the movie succeeds where any commercial movie truly needs to, especially for a major studio. It's entertaining. It's fun. Whatever else you can say about how it gets there, 
Was it a masterpiece? No, not at all. But ultimately, the net effect is you can't necessarily point to any one thing that really holds it back from being better or being better than it was or something that the movie was meant to be that it ultimately wasn't. It succeeds on succeeds on every front, most of all being the fact that while critics trashed it, there's absolutely no denying just how quotable, memorable, and widely beloved it is. So, in my opinion, based on that, it stands up immaculately well. I only have really one counterpoint. Um, I think we both agreed that uh, these shows should come to sort of natural conclusions and we shouldn't you know, drag them out. So, I think you made a lot of good points there, but I think my one major counterpoint to what seemed to be your central argument is how much do you and this is more of a rhetorical question not a direct one but how much do you forgive a movie for doing what its intent was doing even when the actual craft of the thing was defective there are structural problems with this movie that are not forgivable in my opinion I mean I, I can accept to a certain degree there are fantasy. There's a bar of fantasy that you have to accept. There's a bar of kung fu movie that you have to accept. There's a bar of stylization that you have to affect. But even when the defects in the movie go well beyond those accepted bars, at what point do you say, okay, I get they were doing what the intent was, but some of this stuff is still crap. And you have to, in my opinion, have to acknowledge that even if the intent is to do a thing and you do a thing, but the thing itself is not that good, I think you have to acknowledge that would be my, and, and I I don't want to be too hard on big friend of little China. Um, There isn't going to be a judge that's suddenly going to appear on Jesse Starcher isn't going to materialize on this show and award me damages. <laughs> so, so I don't want to come off as a dick um, and beat this into the ground. <laughs> and nor will I do that on any show. Uh, that's what I'm saying. It's more of a general question, and I think that's my overall issue with this because I really do enjoy this movie. I'm not going to lie and say I don't just for the you know for a gimmickry, but I think it would also be a lie to say it doesn't have some pretty massive problems that go well beyond well, it was doing a thing. Okay, it did those things, but those things were not done well anyway. My 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 last and final point, and I will give you the final word. Does the movie have its issues? Yeah, certainly. I mean, so do all cult classics, really. I mean, in a way, it's one of the things that we love about so many of these movies is the fact that the faults in them are actually almost kind of amusing it kind of amusing in a way it becomes something that we can joke about in and of themselves i mean i've said so many times so many times about bill and ted's excellent adventure you know another cult classic that if you really look at it and you really think about what about why rufus travels back in time i mean the future he was coming from was already perfect 
which meant that the past happened how it happened, and it turned out for the best. So instead, he decides that despite things being perfect, things are somehow still in danger, and so he goes back and really kind of rolls the dice on rolls the dice on everything by taking these two chuckleheads off their intended destinies and off on this wild time travel adventure. It's easy to make fun of. Of course, I mean, of course it is. And again, something you could say about so say about so many other shows, movies. I mean, I've made the joke a number of times as a gamer about uh, games that come out of Bethesda Softworks in particular. Uh, they're notorious for being outstanding games in so many, in so many ways. Uh, innovative gameplay, terrific visuals, unforgettable, unforgettable dialogue, great stories, tons of content, terribly lo- amazingly long games. And yet, they're also notorious for being glitchy, buggy, um, having some weird hinky mechanics occasionally that result in some flubs in how in how the game presents. And I remember I was talking to somebody once about just that, and I was saying, you know, I honestly hope they never make a perfect Fallout game. Because if it came out and it just ran perfectly and no, there were no hilarious glitches, no weird... No weird clipping, um, no dialogue that loops when it isn't supposed to. It almost wouldn't feel quite feel quite like a Bethesda game. That's kind of the way I feel about Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, it has a plot that develops extremely, extremely thinly. Yeah, it has, to put it mildly, some awkward forced exposition dumps. They just don't come across even remotely naturally. But as you watch as you watch it, you end up enjoying it so much that you almost forget that there are flaws. You get to the point that you almost can't imagine the movie imagine the movie without them. The imperfection kind of has a little bit of a little bit of an oh bless your bloody little heart charm. <laughs> and you know, despite that, despite that fact, as we've talked about before, there are some times where, on the other side of the coin, movies will go too far to try to explain what's going on, or to later do a sequel, or a prequel, or a midquel, or a pre <laughs> or a pre sequel, if you should happen to be a big Borderlands fan, which I am because fuck yeah, Borderlands. Um, and you go out of your way to explain this stuff, and ultimately what ends up happening is you realize that the explana- either the explanation was never really satisfactory in the first place because it was forced for the sake of having an explanation, <clears throat> or you realize that you never really minded it the way it was in the first place. I mean, if we got a little bit too bogged down in trying to explain too much backstory and too much logic in this movie, I feel like it would either end up extending it out to be way too long a movie as opposed to what we got, 
or even worse, it would end up taking us away from so much of the action and visual spectacle and the, the infectiously hilarious Kurt Russell dialogue that ultimately ends up making it so lovable. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, warts and, warts and all, I will accept that the craft was not, was not perfect because everything else still manages to overshadow it and make something that at the end of the day you can look at and not even say, wow, that was so bad, so bad it was good. You just look <laughs> at it and think, I had a damn great time. I will watch that again absolutely, absolutely anytime somebody else wants to. Okay. So how did you think this this worked? Did this work for you tonight? Did we have fun with this uh, with this I, experiment we're doing? Oh, you know what? I loved it because I mean I I got off easy on this one. Uh, you you <laughs> let me off easy. You let me kind of ease kind of ease my toes slowly into the pool by uh, letting us do a movie that, like I said, number one, I absolutely love. It's one of those where if I don't feel like watching a a show but I feel like having something on Netflix while I'm working or doing some or doing something else. That's one of the first things that I will turn to and put on except for the occasional span where Netflix takes it off streaming for two or three months because reasons. <laughs> they do that with a lot of movies, uh, but I mean, number one, you let me do a movie that I was really familiar with that I genuinely love. And then on top of that, you didn't make me have to prosecute it. Um, and I know that I'm not going to get that lucky every time. Uh, we're going to we're going to be switching off who prosecutes and who defends, which movie we do. And for all I know, I mean, j- just to give you an example, one of the ones that we talked about during the initial 30-minute conversation where we dreamed this up while I was at Quick Trip getting a hot dog before the last episode of Long Road to Ruin. Uh, no, seriously, that's what I was doing when we 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 didn't have a conference call. We didn't take notes or any, take notes or anything. I was getting dinner at a convenience store. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this idea, um, and one of the ones I threw out there is I said, "Okay, since we never got to do it on Long Road to Ruin, we got to do the first Resident Evil movie because yeah. I genuinely that is that is the only movie in that franchise that I can genuinely ironically say I really like. However, I fully acknowledge that it's entirely possible that if it comes around to that and it just happens to be my turn to prosecute it, okay, I'm going to have to be a bit hard on my darling. <laughs> and I and I'm going to have to royally take the piss out of it for all the flaws that everybody else throws back in my face when especially the Resident Evil fanboys uh come back and actually and actually and just WS Anderson curses ancestors curse Paulus WS Anderson's cow <laughs> um wait WS Anderson no that's I think that's Paul W. Anderson. There's two of them. Because um, one of them is the guy who directed Magnolia. Um, the one that hates one of my personal favorite directors, Kevin Smith. Um, and the other one is 
the guy who made the Resident Evil franchise and married Mila Jovovich. Um, and then I'm convinced started making movies just to keep Mila working. Uh, it, it's Paul Anderson. I know that. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm going off like a Grandpa Simpson level just puke state tangent here. <laughs> but let me uh, being, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 I mean, we. You've told me which movies you which movies you've thrown out there, and there are going to be some where I'm going to be forced to grit my teeth and try to defend something that I actually that I actually think is a steaming turd. Well, here's what I'll tell you. A lot of the ones that I picked, um, this is the law firm of uh, Rattledge, Rattledge, and Rattledge, and we are mostly a defense <laughs> law firm. And I, and I threw a lot of hot garbage on this, li- on this list because I wanted to defend these. I think, um, I think I'm at my best when I resume the role of the crap defender. So you're going to, so this year can't a lot of fun for you because in a lot of these, these are teed up nicely for you to slam, bam, thank you, ma'am, because I want to defend them. I want to get, I want to get in there and stand next to the guy with the bloody meat cleaver and go, your honor, clearly this man is a gentle soul as blood drips from his chin. So wait a second. So if we're going with the whole night court theme here, you're basically saying that I'm Dan Fielding. Yes, sir. I'm Marky Post. Hello. Motherfucker. <laughs> I get to be John Larroquette. I will take it. Uh, the next one, however, um, <laughs> there is going to be the occasional coin flip. So let's just do that now. The next show that we're doing um, is Inception. And and I chose it one because this this show in my mind is half movies I haven't had an opportunity to watch and or talk about and I want to um, and half there's the, the one gimmick that I'm going to cling to is crap, is crap Defender so um, and of course there's that one percent, there's that as you saw with the schedule I sent you there's that one percent of we're talking about they're talking about this theme earlier in the week on a different show I come up with something that sinks with it. Ah, give me my bipolar. Um, so, uh, but there, are, but like I said, there's the occasional one. I don't have a dog in the hunt. I've never seen it. I want to. I've been told I should. And that, and we're going to start off the year with that with uh, with one of my picks. Our next on trial will be in two weeks. Um, we're going to kind of do these every other weekish, and I'll go through the the, the schedule uh, as we have it right now. Um, our next show is January 26th, and we're going to do Inception. And I really don't have a dog in this hunt, so we're going to do an internet coin flip. Uh, heads, okay. heads, I prosecute. Um, tail, wow, I just had a brain fart. Um, heads, I prosecute. Tails, you defend. There we go. Sorry, I had a system reboot momentarily. Um, you can't see it, but there's a there's a... There's a colorful uh, beach ball spinning on my forehead right now. All right, here we go. <laughs> Heads, prosecute, tails, defend, and flip it. Do you trust me, Sean? Do you trust me? I Would I ever lie to you, believe. babe? All right, it came up I tails. Implicitly, man. <laughs> okay, okay, so I'm going to be prosecuting? That is correct, and I'm going to be defending oh, this. Okay. Which is going to be great, because I'm, sure I'm, sure I'm going to hate it. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, this is this is interesting because I remember uh, I actually saw that at a drive-in uh, back during the last year that I spent in Kansas City. And if you've if you've ever heard me on Long Road to Rue, and you probably heard me mention my best friend Scarlett a number of times, um, we both saw it uh, right around the same right around the same time. I think I saw it first, and then she saw it something like a week or so later. I absolutely loved it because uh, I'm a pretty unabashed Christopher Nolan fanboy. Uh, I don't think he has. He's made a few movies that maybe didn't necessarily resonate as well with me as with me as others. Uh, not everything can be Memento or The Dark Knight. Um, sometimes you get the Prestige thrown in there, which was which was okay, but yeah, just yeah. I, I think I liked it more in a second viewing. Um, and so naturally, I loved it. Also helps that I'm a I'm a big fan of almost everybody in that movie except for DiCaprio. Um, I, fr- I frankly think he's his generation's most overrated actor. Um, mm. But oh god damn it! I ju- and I just use the I just use the term that I always claim to hate the most. Okay, I'll say it this way: um, a grand total of two or three movies aside, and I'm talking about Catch Me If You Can and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I have never seen in him exactly what everybody else does. I won't – people who like him, I, I'm sorry I use that term. I always say that I try never to. But, hey, more power to you. By all, by all means, enjoy him, to, enjoy him to the fullest. I just don't – I just don't get it. But I love that movie. And on the other hand, I remember uh, – Scarlett came back and said that, and uh, had her own issues. She wasn't exact, exactly thrilled with it, didn't hate it, but felt it was, but felt it was a little bit of a letdown. So, <clears throat> it's going to be fun to go and to go and watch this and be on the other side of the coin. And meanwhile, you say you've never seen it. Um, I really look forward to you watching what can be a really polarizing movie. And possibly either throwing your whole self with gusto into a movie that you really believe believe is worthy of being defended, or possibly having to operate in a critical vacuum and forcing yourself to say, "Well, this is my job. <laughs> I hate this. I hate this movie." I wish I could unsee it, but I guess I got to go up here and give it the benefit of the doubt. So with that said, um, let's go to, here's the schedule as it stands right now. Now there are going to be some gaps here because I sent Sean a list and Sean's a normal person who doesn't plan his life a year in advance. So, uh, <laughs> we've, so we've got shows blocked out for the next, you know, for January and February. And then after that, um, I've got all my shows blocked out. Uh, but you know, Sean's going to fill in as we go along. And on the, um, yep. on the days that we're not doing shows, we'll, you know, we can backfill. There'll be some TV parties uh, for Orange is the New Black and Glow when those come out. Um, the Marvel's The Defenders, The Punisher. And I'm going to need those thurs- open Thursday days for things like that, where there, all- where there isn't a TV party already scheduled on that Tuesday. Um, but I don't want to get too much in the weeds here. 
So right now, here's the here's the on trial schedule as it stands right now, subject to change. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Sean, I added one more to my list. I'll tell you why in a second when we get to it. Okay. You, okay. You know, there's, 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 there's a, I'm keen something. I this is like in volleyball, the sweet spike that I'm giving you, but it has to be done. I had to do one movie like this. So one movie okay. not one movie completely disconnected from anything else happening on the network that we have to talk about and I have to defend. So here we go. Um, okay. February February ninth, Resident Evil. Uh, February twenty third. Catwoman, I, which I demand to defend that movie. Um, <laughs> I demand it. <laughs> that, that, that's the one where we will not be any coins. Um, another one I demand to defend. Uh, X-Men uh, March 9th, on, uh, which will be Wolverine week, by the way. Uh, we talked about this earlier. We'll be doing Old Man Logan, uh, movie Logan. Metal Hammer of Doom will be reviewing Entombed Wolverine Blues. And our contribution to Wolverine Week on trial, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna God. Def- I will be defending it, God damn it. Um, <laughs> Deadpool and all. Um, Sean, you know, and then in between, like I said, Sean's got a couple of picks here and hither and thither. Uh, hopefully, Sean will, will grant me my wish and pick something related to cars, not the movie cars, but like Smokey and the Bandit or the Cannonball Run or used cars or something like that. For the week that we uh, review the fate of the fate of the furious, um, of course. that'll that'll be the twentieth. Um, we'll be reviewing uh, King Arthur, the two thousand four movie, because that links up really nicely with the new King Arthur movie that's coming out this year. And boy, was that a stinker! So I'll be ending that one. Um, <laughs> uh, the week of Wonder Woman, which is June eighth, we'll be reviewing uh, Superman Returns. I'll be defending that one. Uh, we've got Transformers Week, the last week of June, in in uh, in honor of Transformers: The Last Night. So I thought, and, and this is going to be tough for me because I absolutely love this movie, but I'm going to prosecute it. I'm going to stretch myself. I'm going to make really? one defend it, and I'm going to prosecute it. Transformers: The Animated Movie. So, um, Ooh, I mean, unless boy. yeah. I'm going to try to find something wrong with it, and I'm going to need drugs to, to get through that I, show. I, I, I'm just thinking to myself, man, I obviously I saw it when I saw it when I was a kid, because what kid who grew up during that those toyetic halcyon days didn't see it? Right. But man, it's been, it's been years. I think the, the most I remember of it was way back when I, when I was still a Channel Awesome fan. Um, I remember Lindsay Ellis, the nostalgia chick, um, did a damned entertaining review of it. So mm-hmm. it's amazing. I may have to give, I may have to give myself an initial refresher by um, by going back and by going back and watching that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's one where I'm going to flip the script and I'm going to prosecute it because because uh i because if i defend it it'll just be literally a love letter to this movie and that's um, uh, that's, that's when exactly that's when exactly june 29th okay um, i was going to say i was i was going to say um in april i'm going to be uh moving apartments so i wasn't okay. sure but um no june is fine i can do june that's cool okay um 
All right, so back to July. Uh, July 13th, uh, we'll be putting The Amazing Spider-Man 2 on trial. Um, and the rare, now I, I believe we actually did, this is one of the first second um, generation reviews that we did. And what I mean by that is Jeff Harris and I were generation one of the movie reviews. And uh, as anything that me and Jeff Harris do together doesn't end well. So, um, <laughs> so we ended up restarting these movie reviews around the same time that I think Amazing Spider-Man and Maleficent came out. Um, and, uh, not, and not Apocalypse, but Days of Future Past, I believe. And that's what really got the ball rolling with Winfrey and I in these modern movie reviews. But so this is, so, and I believe at the time we did talk about Amazing Spider-Man too, because I remember fighting with Pat Mullen about it. But uh, so it's going to be a rare, uh, one of these rare instances where I'm going to go back and read and talk about something we've already done a show on. Um, so, so, I, so wait, just, just so I'm clear here, are we doing Amazing Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man 2? Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, sure. good. I, I was yeah. going to say, because I don't think either of us wants to, wants to try to prosecute nope. Spider-Man 2. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and in a rare Tuesday show, because I'll be going on a cruise for two weeks after this, uh, we'll be doing an on trial for the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes on July 18th. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I will I will defend that one. Um it's terrible, but I'll defend it. Um we got a couple of, <laughs> I pretty much gave away the entire month of August to Sean. Uh, it's just it's all yours. You can have it. Um in September we're gonna review the original It, uh which one I've never seen, uh, but that's gonna go along with same lines as the we're reviewing the new it that week so we're going to do an on trial for the original it and i'll oh, finally see the movie geez. that i have a tattoo of on my leg for the whole of the story i could there. i didn't even know you had the ink man that's kind of cool um oh man i i honestly we may have to coin flip that one because i honestly don't know if i would rather defend it or prosecute it <laughs> So here's where we get to the one I just added. This is going to be September 28th, okay? I realized okay. that we could I realized we could afford to do one more show, and I decided I was taking it because I because there's something I wanted to do. I felt the calling, okay? I was tapped by an angel, and I was told you must defend a zero the a a zero rated Rotten Tomatoes movie with the most reviews. So in other words. I looked at the list of the Wikipedia list for the list of films with a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes and picked the one with the highest amount of reviews by volume. So coming in with 116 reviews, all of which were rotten, Ballistic, X versus Sever. What the? <laughs> I haven't what this even is? thought about no, I haven't even I mean I'm familiar with it by name. I know that there is a movie named Ballistic X versus Sever, but I don't think I've ever seen it and I certainly don't remember ever hearing that it was as egregiously bad as you're talking about. So yeah. <laughs> and, and I and so, I'm I'm aware of some pretty goddamn bad 
bad movies. I mean, keep in mind, when you came up with um, Because Blank Made Me, oh, I knew exactly which movie I was throwing. I was throwing out there because motherfucker, I am making before you get to the room. I am making you watch your Hunter from the Future. <laughs> so I'm looking at the. You will believe a man can hang light a bat into a cave. <laughs> I already believe. And this will drop kick. And this and this will drop kick a purple caveman. So I actually have a challenge for you. Um, I don't, and I don't know, like if if uh, if this is even possible. I have to actually look at this real quick. Um, so there's a video game for it. What? Shooter for X versus Sever that came out in 2001 before the film. Okay, yeah, that means that means that it's going to be on probably PS2. And man, I'm trying to remember if I even have it because there's there ain't no way in fuck that's available for digital download on PS on PS2 <laughs> or um uh or, P, or PS3 and PS4. The, the wiki does say. <laughs> the wiki does say it's the high. It is considered the worst film in the history of Rotten Tomatoes. I will defend it. Never seen it. I'm going in sight unseen here. But the 2002 American German action thriller starring Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu. I will defend you, what? Ballistic X to Sever. <laughs> the it's law firm of Bradley and Re- Yes, Antonio <laughs> Banderas and Lucy oh. Liu. Oh, and El this Mariachi, thing is, what did you do? And it's directed by some guy named Chaos. Oh, Ray Park is in this. Even better. What? Hot damn. <laughs> this is so great. I am giddy with excitement. I'm fanning I, myself as we speak. I, I'm kind of speechless just because I have no idea how this movie could, how it could be that how could be this bad and my having never heard of it? Because for the most part, if something really tanks, like, like, like if it goes Catwoman bad, um, <laughs> you, you know about it. Um, either if it just goes so bad that it's absolutely irredeemable or if it's one of those transcendent movies that is so bad it's, that it's so bad it's good, like The Room or Birdemic. You hear of that, or 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 any fucking thing Uva Bowl has ever done. Um, That's another one that that I, I I remember just because what's this, the the nostalgia critic made a point saying that there was this trend among going for sort of like the easy fruit and so bad everyone was doing it to the point that it wasn't worth doing anymore. Okay, and, and your phone cut out so much that I actually missed you even saying which movie it was. Which one was it? Oh, I'm sorry. It was um, Fight. I, no I, clue, huh? I, I, <laughs> I, think, I think your connection does not want me to hear the title of this movie. Okay, uh, okay. Fa- Facebook, message it, Facebook message it to me. I, I got my laptop okay. open in front of me. Hey, hang yeah. on, can you hear me now? Can you hear me? I, I can hear you, yeah. Food Fight with Charlie Sheen. Oh, Food Fight. Oh. Um, yeah, well, I'll, 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 put Doug, I'll put Doug aside because, well, quite frankly, I'm convinced that Doug Walker blows goats and molests collies. Um, oh, no. 
and I know if, hey, I have a few friends who would agree with me on that too. Um, you, you don't, like I said before, you don't dick with people that I love. Um, uh, but no, I'm familiar with it uh, because JonTron, who is an internet reviewer that I actually like, uh, also did a review of it, a much funnier review of it. Go watch it. JonTron, J-O-N-T-R-O-N. Um, uh, oh, my God, that one could be fun. That could be really <laughs> fun, actually. All right, so to, uh, to finish up uh, with, with what I've laid out here, October, we're going to do Blade Runner, the same week that we're reviewing the new Blade Runner. And um, I, I conceded. I, I always give Sean his way. Sean asks, and I, and I, give, I give him what he wants. That's the that's motto. Give him what they want. Sean wanted, to do Halloween. Sean wanted to do Halloween 3. We're doing Halloween 3. I'm going to have nightmares, but we're going to do it anyway. Hey, you will thank me because this one is actually genuinely interesting. Now, uh, do we have a definite decision on who we want to defend that and who we want to prosecute, or are we going to coin flip that? Uh, I don't have a dog in the hunt on that one. I don't care. It's one you know where what? Let you, um, the dance. Uh, you know what? I will, I will proudly step up and, and defend Halloween 3. Because I believe there's a genuine case to be made for it. I'm prosecuting. Yep. Which, 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 let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Uh, that in itself, I have to admit, is kind of an easy job in itself. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, for, for both of us, trust me, by the time you watch this, this movie, you'll see what I mean when I say that it's going to be, for both of us, like slipping on a pair of gloves. Um, oh, sorry, I missed November. Okay, so uh, Thor week, we're doing an entire dedicated to Thor. Um, we're going to be uh, putting on trial Thor the Dark World, because I couldn't think of another one to do um, that, that uh, goes with Thor. And then finally, uh, the last two movies we're doing of the year before we break uh, for, two, for 2018. Jesus. Um, Star Wars week, we'll be reviewing the Clone Wars animated movie. We're going to put that on trial. And then the last on trial we're doing for the year is the Robin Williams Jumanji. Because we'll be reviewing the Dwayne Johnson Jumanji the same week. So, yeah, that's how we're going out in December. with The animated Clone Wars movie and Jumanji. (laughs) Yeah, when we do Jumanji, we're, we're going to have to put up a disclaimer that says... Not all opinions reflect how we really feel about this movie. <laughs> um, I would absolutely, though, encourage you to pick something Christmassy, though, for your for your December pick. Um, but yeah, it's up to you. That's why they're your picks. Yeah, I'm I'm positive that I will that I will come up with something. Um, I got a few rolling around up there, up there in my head. I'm just waiting for one of them to come up to the head of the pack. So. <laughs> So that's it. Those are all the plugs. Um, just uh, for this we have uh, the first episode of the Flight uh on Monday. Uh, we had a TV party for Black Mirror Season Two on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we did our retrospect, our second retrospective of Clutch, uh, Deep Cuts, B Sides, and Rarities, and of course tonight was on trial. Next week, uh, we'll continue to do. Uh, We'll be doing a TV party for the for the show Cooked, 
on Netflix from uh, Michael Pollan, author of An Omnibus Dilemma and uh, Cooked, same title. I'll be reviewing Sepultura, Machine Messiah, and because Gavin made me, we're going to review There Will Be Blood. And I I think we've done enough plugs for now. I'm going to let him say his uh, words, and then we are out of here. Sean, your witness. Uh, Thank you, Your Grace. Um, And thank you to everybody who tuned in for this very first edition of this brand new show. God, it feels good to have such a fresh perspective and to not have to kind of sometimes be the bickering bickersons who are just stepping on each other's points all the time. Um, if you want to see some more of other things that I do, uh, you can find me and a host of other immensely talented people over at fpgnews.com. Uh, so, 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 so very me very many things you'll find over there. Uh, We do podcasts almost every single week. Uh, We're a bunch of little pop culture obsessives. You will find such great great regular columns as uh, Nelly's Listicles, uh, written by my good friend, by my very good friend, uh, Danielle Kavanaugh. It's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, You'll find the Thursday Review a topical day column written by another fine fellow by the name by the name of Darren Ramsey. Um, you'll find uh, Ross's top five hidden gems, which covers uh, great, really underappreciated matches from WWE Network. And most importantly, coming up on January 29th, you will find me writing the live edition of my cop of my column, The Comer Codex, that evening because I will be giving you match-by-match, segment-by-segment coverage of one of my favorite annual WWE events, the Royal Rumble, which is going to be emanating from San Antonio. Um, Should be a great, great, great time. Uh, You can find me pretty much any time there's a WWE Network Network special doing just that right there, giving the results as as they come in. Otherwise, uh, tweet at me at Comer Codex. Uh, you can also find me regularly over at the Facebook page for Honeysuckle Rose Creations. Uh, my good friend Alexis Haina's 100% upcycled uh, nerdy jewelry boutique. We are on. We're on Facebook. Just search for just search for us. Just like I said, Honeysuckle Rose Creations. We are now on Instagram at Honeysuckle Rose Creations, um, all one word. And we are on Twitter at, I believe it's H, at H-R-S-C, I think. I, I always forget the exact, the exact Twitter handle, and I run the damn account. <laughs> um, in fact, I run all of the socials. So uh, swing by. We have product showcases daily, giveaways, flat, giveaways flash sales, and occasionally... Alexis or I just goes nanners and just decides to post whatever geeky stuff we like. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you can on the Rodwich and Broadcasting Network. You can always find me right here on on trial on the other end of the tin can and string from Mark. Uh, you will find me every so often on TV Party. We talked about this the other night. I believe I had a couple shows that I wanted to jump in on. Um, 
Uh, I, I'll be popping up every so often on Because Blank Made Me, because I have some really shit so bad they're good movies that I, that I want to subject Mark to, all leading up to me eventually getting around to inflicting the room upon him. Hmm. I don't want to say inflicting. It's, it, it's fun sharing the glory of the room with him. Um, and you never know where else I might pop up. Maybe someday I'll, I'll, I'll finally get around to doing something I've wanted to do for ages, and that's get my ass back on source material. Uh, it's been way too long since I was on Metal Hammer of Doom. Uh, I should really do that the next time one of, you, one of you wants to tune out for a while and you need a quick substitute third chair. But I'm going to see you two in June. You can be even more than happy to jump on that show. Ooh, you can do that. Um, but otherwise, again, thank you, everybody. Uh, you are the reason we love to do what we do so do so much. So keep tuning in. Send us your suggestions. Like us on fa- like us on Facebook. And in the meantime, always remember that twenty dollars will buy mini peanuts. And never dull your colors for someone else's campus. All right, ladies and gentlemen, court is adjourned. Be well, be safe, and behave.